Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. So, this is the last session on leadership. Um, and I just want to talk about vision. Um, Rick, uh, no, who is it that says it? Yeah, Rick Joyner says, only a fool will follow someone who doesn't know where they're going. So if, if you're going to be a good leader, you need to know where you're going. <coughs> Do you want to switch the tables? You all right? So coming back to our trusty friend, Saul and David... When you look at Saul, you see that actually his level of vision was really quite limited, ridiculously limited, in that his vision was simply to stay in power. Um, and all he could think of was trying to, try to get rid of his rival David, because he saw David as a threat, and all he wanted to do was to get rid of him. So rather than actually focusing on vision for him, his family, vision for his country, vision for, you know, the people that he's leading, all he could focus on was staying in leadership. And that, that's never a healthy position to be in. So when we're leaders, we, we, we want to be people of vision. We want to know, you know, what, what is the purpose of us being a leader? What is the purpose of our group and where are we going? Where are we heading? One of, the, one of the stories of David, I mean, you could see that David was a man of vision. He, he did have a purpose for his country. Um, and he, one of the examples of like a big vision that he did have is he wanted to have God at the centre of his city, of his country. And so um, we see that one of the visions he has is he wants to bring the ark to the city that he's now adopted as his own. So the city of David, which is, um, was Jerusalem. So when, once David had become king, he finds himself um, a city that he likes and, and he pronounces Jerusalem as the capital of the nation. And he wants to bring the ark back. And you see that, that his vision is, is all, you know, for a long time centered around that. And he brings the ark back. Um, and I'm just going to quickly read uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 1 to 19 to you. And that's the, just how David goes about bringing the ark back. But you can see that this is what he wants. So um, in verse 1 it says, David again brought together all the young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balar in Judah to bring up the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty who is enthroned between the cherubim and the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and a... Hio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. 
David and all of Israel were celebrating with all the might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, citrums, and cymbals. They, when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of it, this irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. When da then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, he calls the place Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obededom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obededom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Sometimes we have a vision and, and, and we get it wrong, or things go wrong. And um, so often people give up then. You know, if, if something, you, you've got a vision, you've got a hope and a dream, and something gets in the way of that, people give up. Fortunately, although David was angry and he had a temporary, this isn't going to happen anymore, he then begins to readdress that because three months later, um, David was now told, the Lord has blessed the house of Obededon and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went up to the ark of God from the house of Obededon, went to bring up the ark of God, sorry, from the house of Obededon to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and, shouts of, and the sound of the trumpet. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from the window. When she saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in the place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he finished the sacrifice and the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. And he gave a loaf of, of bread and a cake of dates and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites both men and women, and then all the people went to their homes. And I kind of love that story because you can see that David's heart, his vision was to bring the ark to the place where he was living. And he, he sets about doing that but makes mistakes, but then goes back to the drawing board and tries again. Are you okay? No, just what is yours. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? It, it just doesn't work when you try to listen and you're hungry, does it? I'm <laughs> sorry. No worries. Michael. Michael. In the first time when it, um, I read that she was, in the meanwhile, while David was running away from Saul, she was remarried to someone else. Yes. Didn't she then get remarried to David? As soon, was she, still married? she was still basically as soon as David became king, he went after her and brought her back. Mm. Um, and I guess 
annulled the second marriage. It's kind of, I find that particular story quite sad because um, she clearly loved the guy that she married the second time and he clearly loved her. And it says that he followed after crying, um, you know, please let her stay, please let her stay. Um, but they sent him back home without her. And, but that's why she just, she really, from that point on, really didn't like David. It's, it's obviously it's a, just a whole new different culture to the one yeah, that we're living in now. Yeah, well, her dad gave her to to him because he won a battle. So you know, like it was an arranged marriage to begin with, and then you know she has a love relationship, and then it's broken. It's all a bit sad, um, but yeah, by this point she's back because David is king, and she's back with him. But I love the fact that David didn't give up on it, on this particular vision. He um, he wanted to remain. He wanted the ark to remain with him, and he he pursued his vision, even though it had all gone wrong in the first place. He went back to the drawing board, and then he discovered how how do we actually how are we supposed to carry the ark? Because there were certain ways of doing that. You know, the priests, the Levites were supposed to carry it on two poles. Um, it wasn't meant to be on a cart. It was meant to be carried with reverence and properly. And so he went back and did it correctly the second time. But he just didn't give up on his vision. And did they sacrifice a bull every six steps or only the first time? That's what it says. Like, I think it was every six steps. I always read it as every six steps, but that's, that's a lot of bulls. What? They sacrificed the bull every six steps. The, they took the carriers of the ark. You know, they, and they have to stand for such a long time and wait with the ark on their shoulders until this bull. Oh, maybe it was just once. Maybe it was when those who were I always read it as every six steps because I was thinking, gosh, that had taken an awful long time to. Uh, Maybe we, we need to research that a little bit more. Yeah, <laughs> he wasn't taking any chances the second time around. <laughs> but he was serious. Which and is nice because it was honouring the life of... He didn't want anyone else to get killed. Exactly, yeah. 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 But that, I've just read that story just to set the scene on vision, really, um, because I just want to talk about vision for a little bit. Um, If I can find out. So like I said before, uh, Rick Joyner says, only a fool will follow someone who doesn't know where they're going. The more clear and noble the vision, the better people you will, who will be attracted to you. So, so basically, Rick is saying, if you've got a clear vision and it's a noble vision, then you're going to attract people to come and support your vision. And people will follow your vision. So if, if you, you know, people know where you're going, they'll follow you. So the more clear and noble the vision, the better the people will be who you attract. So that's Rick Joyner. And he's written a book on, on um, leadership. Is he American? Uh, yeah, I think he is. I think he is. Yeah. 
So vision then, it's, it, the definition of vision is a concept that is not yet real. So it's an idea that you have that hasn't become a reality yet. I've got a pen in here somewhere, I'm just looking. That I think hopefully works. There we go. Oh, telling me. Is that, is that not working either? Is that working? Yay! Thank you. A concept that hasn't become reality yet. <laughs> So it's like, it's, it's a goal. It's somewhere where you want to be, somewhere where you are heading towards. And Paul had vision. Um, and in Philippians 3 verse 12, he says, pressing on toward the goal, not that I have already attained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. And then um, in verse 13, uh, 14 of Philippians 3, it says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So Paul knew what his role was. He knew what his vision was. You know, he knew that he was an apostle. His vision was to, to plant churches, to father younger men and to bring them into a place of confidence in in the kingdom and kingdom stuff. John C. Maxwell, um, who also teaches about leadership, and if you remember the first week um, when I was talking about leader, leader levels, um, he's the one that came up with that. He says this, all great leaders possess two things, they know where they are going and they are able to persuade others to follow. What do you mean persuade? Persuade, persuade to motivate, motivate yeah, and, and convince others that it's a good thing to do. <laughs> <coughs> so all great leaders possess two things. One, they know where they are going and two, they are able to persuade others to follow. So whatever it is that we are leading, we need to have vision. And I guess one, one of the questions to ask yourself is, if I had the resources, what would I do? That's, you know, when you're trying to figure out what is your vision, what is my goal for this group or this company or um, this class that I've got or whatever it is that you're leading, what what is my vision? The question to begin with is, if I had the resources, what would I do? And then begin to, to, to dream about where things are heading. You know, what is it? And, and of course, as, as Christians, we also have the advantage because we can talk to God about our dreams and our visions and, and often he's already placed them in our hearts anyway. So we get to partner with him um, so we're not alone in 
figuring out what our vision is. So the first question is, if I had all the resources, what would I do? Mm -hmm. So if I'd have like unlimited money? Yeah. Things yeah. for the world and a PlayStation 4. <laughs> 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 yeah, okay. If you were in leadership and you had a group, what would you do with the group? Okay. <laughs> so so once once you've got your dream and your your vision and and your goal for whatever it is that you're leading. Obviously, a goal is not set in stone. So it's not something that is absolute. It's not something you have to do completely because often goals change slightly as you go along and they but but it's really good to have a goal it's really good to have an a sort of an end view in sight that you you know this is where we want to get to so we've we've got our vision and and so what i want to look at now is is then what do we do then with that vision because it's all very, very well and good having a vision but how then do we start to persuade others that our vision is a good vision to, to follow. So I'm just going to go through some practical tips that I have picked up um, myself and or I've read in, you know, from the teaching that I've heard um, and Vic Joyner's book and um, John C. Maxwell's book. So let's have a look at what, what would, what's a good thing to do. So you've got your vision. First of all, so birthing your vision. Um, a good place birthing is to like bring in your vision to uh, into being birth. birthing. Yep. First of all, start by looking at your current situation and list all the positives that is already happening, and then list all the things that could be better. Then if it's, you know, once you, you've started to, you've got that list, begin to look at how you can make those things better. So you just begin to start with, let's improve this area, let's improve that area. Just begin to... It's three minutes late. Mm -hmm. Somebody's late today. Yeah. <laughs> Some like handy to be late. Well, okay. Well, like, list the positive things, list the negative things, see what you can improve. On all. the negatives, yeah. And bringing your birthing, your vision, and what was, the, and there was another thing you said? Or was that all? That was, that was it so far, I think. Okay, so, so then you've got your vision. Let the vision become grounded in you. You know, like, let it be something that you own. Like, you need to believe in your vision and believe in the possibility. And to do that, you'll need to look beyond 
your own personal weaknesses and the weaknesses of the team. Well, the, well obviously, if you lead, well, the people that you're leading, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <coughs> But within that, look at the resources that are available already. What are the people like in your team? Are they committed? And those that are committed, just like invest in them, encourage them, so that because they will be the ones that will help you bring about your vision. Who are committed? Yeah, you know. So, so you you begin to share your vision with with the people that you're leading, and you you'll tell you'll be able to tell those that are, are you know very quickly on board with you, those that are enthusiastic about your vision, invest in them and get them around you and get them supporting you because then they will then be able to sort of encourage others to get involved as well. I think this is the point where difference between a company or a firm setting is a lot different to what it would be like in a church or in a personal area. Because in your company they obviously have, if you're the depart chef of the uh, boss of department or head of department, whatever, how do you say it? Head, of head of department, they have to. And in the church I think it's, it's sometimes, or in a, in a private environment, sometimes harder. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was really nice when you just said that, I found my boss in, in our labor board that she's doing this, she tells her ideas and then the people that say, yay, she goes to those people and picks them and says, okay, I need to help you and here and there. And we're like, yeah. we will then do it and she, she doesn't invest in people who are like, oh, I can't be bothered because she knows it's just a waste, in her situation, it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought, oh, she's doing quite well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you don't necessarily ignore the people altogether that are not with you, but but if you you know you're trying to motivate people that are not motivated, it's better to motivate the people that are and get them to assist you in motivating the rest of the group. Like so David, when, when he went into that uh, fight and two hundred of his men were tired, mm -hmm. he just let them stay there until the other two hundred became motivated. But then at the end, everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good example. Yep. And I think I think it it does translate into any circumstance because although if you know like if you're working for a company, you're not necessarily carrying your own vision. But but if you're a team manager, you can have micro vision for your yeah, group yeah. as well as the big vision from the top. As well, so so you you can still you can still put into practice this whole working with vision and having vision for your team. De definitely, I think just that it is in a company environment somehow a little bit easier because the people have to be there anyway. Yeah. Even if they're not committed to the big vision you have for the company or whoever, has, they're still there for work, and even if they're not top motivated, they will do the jobs. Yeah. Needed in a new church. If you have the, the the idea or the vision, let's do a big 
street outreach. We need hundreds of people to, to, to cover all Manchester and whatever. And in a church, there are three people saying, yay, it's my vision as well, and the other, mm -hmm. whatever. It's, it's, it's hard to, 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 to get there, I think. But I think we'll start with those three people. And yeah, definitely. So maybe the vision can be real in five years. When definitely. You mm -hmm. but, but as well as this investing in those people who are who are excited and who are motivated. Because if you do it in a private or in a church environment and you're not employed full-time for the church, it's very hard to get this extra time to get this dynamic started, sure. investing mm -hmm. in certain people to see... An mm -hmm. Yeah. Very true in that because if it's <coughs> if you're employed, it's your job and your duty to be enthused and to be following the vision yeah. of the leader. Yeah. Often it's like if you have a vision from God, you'll find that so many less people will be interested in your vision from God. One of the important things, though, is for you to be enthusiastic about your vision, but not to run too far ahead of those that you're leading. Otherwise, they won't follow because they won't know where you've gone. So, so coming back to that example that you've just given, Jonas, about, you know, if if you want to do that big street evangelism or whatever, um, and you haven't got everyone on board, you need to just take a bit more time to get people on board rather than diving into the big street evangelism if you've just, you've just not got people on board yet. So don't run too fast or too far ahead. You just need to bring the people with you. I've got here, write out your vision, and I probably should have had that at the top, really, um, first before you start doing everything else. But, but, but have, have it written down so that it's clear, clear for you and clear for the people that you're trying to enthuse. And then draw up, draw up a plan of attack. Maybe attack's the wrong word, but plan of, well, how are we going to start getting to where we need to be? And to, you know, within that, you need to be asking questions. Well, what is it that I need to do to get to where I want to be? I like the point you said, mentioned before, and very much because you can apply it to other areas of the life as well, even if it's not about leadership and vision, when you said be enthusiastic but don't run too far ahead the people you're leading. For example, if you have a new revelation about anything, about grace or love or whatever, then always remind yourself that the people you are teaching or the people you're talking about with might come from a completely different standpoint and, and I, I really like this because it reminds me a little bit of be a Roman to the Romans be a Jew to the Jews mm -hmm. really yeah. yeah where are the people at and how do you you know you go to where they're at and then you you bring them or, or another way of putting it is you, you instead of coming at them from above to try and pull them up you, you just come underneath them and then you lift them up into the vision, so so you you come to down to uh, down's maybe the wrong word, but you know you know like I just I like, see it as like you know the baby eagles thrown out the the
the nest and they're flapping and they they have no you know they don't know where they're going but the mother eagle comes and then she she catches them and she gives them the experience of what it's like to fly she lifts them up so that next time they they know what that experience is you know like and and she keeps doing that until they're ready to to fly themselves and so so that's what we're doing when when we've got a vision we're we're coming and we're, we're lifting people up to where our vision is, whatever it is, and, and we, we want them to experience what, where we're at and where we're heading so that they get enthusiastic for it too. So in terms of like being enthusiastic, one of the, the key um, ingredients for, for that is to actually have optimism. <laughs> <laughs> about about your vision and about the people that you're leading um, it's really easy to get discouraged you know da David got discouraged initially you know he, he had this he was all dead enthusiastic about bringing the ark to Jerusalem things didn't go quite according to plan and and he became discouraged but then he pulled himself up and he pulled everybody else up and he's like right well let's let's do this again let's do it right this time and 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 so optimism is really quite important key and I, I just love what you did before and we're going to carry on doing it about that whole honor and creating that atmosphere of honor because um, optimism it's just about helping others to think optimistically as well and a really good way of, of doing that is by starting to think the best about everything and everyone warm showers every day yep Danish people being the happiest people again they, they do a happiest country in the world every year award and Denmark has like been the happiest for the last five years and what they've done is they've got um, once a week in the classes from 6 to 16 once a week there is class time and one of the kids brings a cake and what they then do is talk like they have to learn empathy because they say when they learn empathy and how to honour someone else's feelings and they do this for 10 years, wow. um, they are then better at, as grown-ups to feel or learn um, how to honour someone else's feelings. And that I thought was very interesting. It's how that they want good. to change yeah, their yeah. culture. Yeah. That's really good. And it's just yeah. one hour a week. Yeah. This is where your cake comes into play. So we've got the cake, we've got the honour. This is good, people. This is really good. <laughs> but if if you contrast that with British culture, which criticises the 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 every possible opportunity, um, and, and we struggle in this nation. We've got a high percentage of depression, high percentage of suicide, um, high percentage of divorce. It's 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 a struggling nation. I mean, we might be affluent in many ways, but we're not in other ways. And I think it starts with that. There's, a, there's not a lot of optimism. Even when, you know, someone makes good, 
um, someone does, you know, a, a pop singer does good and, and, you know, whatever. The media really look hard at what they can report negatively about that person. And, and it's really quite quite sad, really. And I just wish we could be a bit more Danish. Perhaps we should... We should start a newspaper called The Danish Times. The, da <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Danish Times. But optimism is a really good... Um, a really good key in when we are trying to implement our vision and a good key in life, really. And I really appreciate you bringing that um, in devotion today, Ophelia. That's really good. And it's funny because this is how, how Phil started last week his talk about relationships and judgment. He said healthy relationships are more important than goal or vision. Okay. Mm -hmm. was saying? I don't know whether it's... I'd say this for every aspect of vision or how you, how to lead, but I think it's so important and we underestimate so often the worth of healthy relationships within mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. whole, oh, I've got a big vision for whatever, and then just yeah. abusing relationships to get mm -hmm. the vision, yeah. to get to the goal, instead of saying, okay. Yeah. yeah, because at the end of the day, the people that you're leading are, are your most important ingredient aren't they the most the greatest asset that you've got in your company or your church or whatever it is that you're leading the people are the most important thing and and if you if you're unable to to build that place of honor that place of, that you know have that stage two in the that we talked about on the first week um if you can't if you don't have that then you haven't really got all the ingredients to be really successful as, a, as an individual leader. Can you imagine your team saying you're announcing this vision and your team going, oh, not another vision. Not another vision. <laughs> <laughs> I quit. <coughs> oh, no. Yeah. yeah. So, hindrances. <laughs> you're just looking, do you want, are you reading my notes? Hindrances <laughs> to fulfilling your vision. <laughs> <laughs> Potential hindrances are limitations on your own leadership skills. So have that in mind and be developing yourself as a leader. Limitations? Hindrances yeah. to fulfilling your vision. The first one is your own limitations. So rather than, you know, if there's an area of your leadership skills or um, your own personal development where you are limited or where you're lacking, do something about it. Go get some extra training, do some personal development, spend time with God, deal with whatever it is that's, that's holding you back. Whether that's lack of experience, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding or, or in a healing or whatever it is, just be always open to growing as a person as well. Um, other hindrances, um, people in your group that are a bit narrow-minded, they're not prepared to think wider than now. Narrow-minded, so they're just their 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 thinking is very sort of 
narrow instead of thinking wider. Those who are unable to see the past, the here and now, so all they can see is what's going on now. They haven't been able to think about the future yet. Only see the past and now. Past the now. So. Unable to see the future. Yep. People who have a loser mentality, it's like us, so that's just not going to work. That won't work. Won't work. A loser mentality with one O. Uh, loser with one O. What's a loser mentality? Loser. I'm losing. I'm going to lose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was just thinking. If, if loser. It's not as in Mappalich. Yeah, yeah, it's not a wacky mentality, is it? Negative. Negative, yeah. 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 I, I, so, you know, like an opinion that you're probably going to lose. So you start the race thinking, I'm not going to win. That kind of. Or you don't bother starting the race in the first place, yeah. Like what if people? What if? What if? But a negative what if people, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, those who are happy with the here and now, they don't want to change. Those who are stuck in tradition. Those who um, just uh, follow the crowd and are into peer pressure. Those who just follow the crowd, like peer pressure. That means group pressure. Mm -hmm. Like, yep, group pressure. So they don't want to change because everybody else is doing something different. But I'm going to talk about how to overcome that in a minute, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but there's a little song that goes, be, be, sei ein lebendiger Fisch. Schwimme gegen die Strom. Yeah. Swim against, so <laughs> against the fish. Yeah. It's like talking about the disciples, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, this is life, and whatever, whatever you're trying to lead, you will come across people like this. So whether you're in the workplace, or you're in the classroom, or you're whatever you're taking an outreach team somewhere or you're in a church or a home, family, you know, there's always going to be this. And those who focus, focus on the problems. Would you like to share, Chris? Just in them as well. Those who are focused... Sorry. Yeah, those, <laughs> right, those who are focused on, on problems rather than focusing on the answers. Those who are seeking themselves, like focusing more on themselves and rather than the group. So be realistic. You will come across people like that, like that list. And so what we're going to do, how are we going to help them to overcome? And, and first of all, like I said earlier, we're going to focus on those that are enthusiastic. We're going to help them to be more enthusiastic and help them to, to grow in, in the vision. Um, but what you can do is, as a leader, you can, you can let them see your heart and, and where you're coming from with the vision. How did the vision get birthed in you? 
why is the vision important to you? What is your personal motivation for having the vision? Um, and then hopefully you've already have been working on this um, already, but, but cultivate a, a trust environment so that people can, can trust you. So, and we, we talked about being trustworthy already in, in week one, I think it was, wasn't it? Where, where, you know, like people need to know that they can trust you. So, you know, do what you say you're going to do. Be who you say you are. Bless you. Bless you. But when you are setting the vision and you, you're presenting the vision, look at the goals and the vision of each individual as well and how then you can link them into your vision. And, and visions of the individuals, you know, what, what, and again, it's, it's about, because leadership is about relationships, so you want to lead through relationship, so you, you want to, you want to know what it is that motivates others, and, and you want to encourage them. But would you then them. say, um, to do, like, if you have a team, then to invite each of them to a one-on-one discussion or talk? Or to do it in a big round, like everyone writes their own goal and vision down, and then you like sit up and read it all out loud. Because I think sometimes in a group it might be difficult. Yeah, I think I think the way I see that happening is over a little bit of time and doing relationships, having coffee, getting to know the people and their dreams yeah, and their because yeah. I, sometimes you may have the feeling someone like has low self-esteem and that everyone's like being yeah, yeah. No, I I don't think I'd do it in a big. I don't think I'd do it in a group discussion. I would do it out of relationship and together. So it's not a formal thing. It's a more relationship building. It's a trust building. It's. But I think it could quite hard if you have a peep, uh, if you have a person like who who is very happy with the here and now, and mm -hmm. says, "I don't have a vision for my life. I actually just enjoy the life as it is and yep. keep it as uncomplicated as possible." Yep, so, so that sort of person you you don't focus on necessarily, you, you don't ignore, but you focus on those that do have vision yep. and, then, and then hope that at some point they will begin to <coughs> look at where they're going and think, oh yeah, that would be good to do that. But you like can tell so, them I'm very happy that you're so enthusiastic about now and just keep going on that way because if we want to focus on something else, we need someone that is, who's going to keep the now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, it all depends on you know where where it is that you're actually leading. Because if it's if it's a work office environment or a, a company where you have to produce something, then then you're going to be a bit more forceful in in how you help to persuade that person who's happy with the here and now, because they might not be able to really realistically stay in the here and now if you, if the company is changing its policies yeah. and procedures. Whereas if it's... Uh, what happened with us, we changed procedure and the old midwife said, no, we've been here for 25 years, blah, 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 and we'll never change. And after a year of my boss handing out how many people are still cutting and how many are not, 
and how much the whole statistic had gone down they saw that it was just them not doing it anymore so then 50% of them started reducing and the others just stuck to it because they wanted to stick to it but in in the whole we we managed the statistic it just sank so low that it's under the the nationwide statistic so those five are still doing their thing but the rest of the team was dumped down because they saw how good mm -hmm. it actually works because they get pulled in then to see oh yes it is a good thing yeah yeah but you'll always have some sturdy people who won't yeah that's okay yeah, that's life. Question: We have all these people you just named with them who focused on themselves or too much negative thought thinking, and when you tr then try to connect um, their visions they have and their goals to the whole to the whole vision you have, but if you can't do that when it's like the vision they have is so different from your own vision, what do you do then? In that case, if they're not prepared to, to follow, then they're not really, you like, if, if they're not going to follow you, then they're not going to follow you. And if it's a voluntary, you know, setting, then it might be that you just give them permission to find someone they can follow. In, in reality, you know, like, I mean, if it's in a workplace, then it's like, would you need to find another job? You know, like, if you really cannot fit into this job, you should really be looking for somewhere else. If it's... Uh, you know, a, a voluntary organisation, you might be saying, well, do you really fit into this organisation? You know, why are you actually here? If they, if it's a, you know, a set, often it's just because people don't understand what the vision is or they, they're just not being motivated. And, and if, if you can motivate them and, and you, you try and, and most people will eventually catch on and move forward. But if they don't, then you just have, you can just release them to go somewhere else or be someone. It's very nice to say release them. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like it's like, I'm, if, if, you, if we're in a group and I'm leading the group and you're not happy in my group, then I don't own you. So therefore, you know, it, instead of me trying to make you someone that you're not, I want to remain in, fr in relationship with you. But I'd be saying, well, go go over there, you know, go, go and find another group. If We can still remain friends, but you're just not in my group. Does, does that make sense? It, it, because as leaders, we don't own, we're not dictators. We're not, you know, they're, they're not our slaves or, or anything. We, we hold people loosely in our hands. We love them. We have responsibility in many ways whilst they're with us, but also, like yeah, and it, and people can, can go. Just approach it from the other side, asking, "Are you really happy here? Are you really happy because you seem to be struggling with all that? Mm -hmm. you, you're perfectly welcome to be here, but if you, because most of the time I think those people exactly know that they're in the wrong place, um, and yeah. just create just create an open and co open culture and asking what what would you make happier or what. What could we change that you would be happier? And if it's something that's so obviously against the vision or against the rules or whatever of your organization or whatever, <coughs> then they are very likely, if they're, if they're not mm -hmm. totally arrogant and ignorant, that they're going to say, okay, probably it's the best. But there might also be the possibility that they've just got the vision wrong. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they can definitely. ask them, well, what have you, have you 
what have you understood? What how do you see the vision you're talking mm -hmm. about? And then they, they like give you a totally distorted picture. You can like slowly try and explain. Yep, and I love the way you said picture there because my next point on my list Sorry. here is no, no, it's perfect. It moves nicely, smoothly in. Um, is is help paint a picture so they can actually see what it is that you where you're heading and help them see their potential within the picture and what are the benefits for them for being involved in the vision? What are they actually going to get out of moving forward? And within painting the picture, you know, like you, you're sharing what the big vision is, but within that, have little goals along the way so people are not overwhelmed with, well, you know, coming back to Jonas's example of the, the citywide mission, that's too big to achieve in the first instance. So what are the smaller goals? Well, we might do a, a small love whatever street or we'll do a small this or a small that and we'll build on it and we'll build on it and we'll build on it you know like so so we'll just keep setting goals along the way to the vision being fulfilled so people are not overwhelmed with this big massive vision of you know i mean can you imagine what was the name of the guy rufus somebody with a who um invented coca-cola his vision was to put a coke can or a bottle of coke in every hand in the world, you know, or have it available to everyone in the world. Well, I've been to the Sahara Desert and you can buy coke in the Sahara Desert, right? Random, not that I drink coke because I don't like it, but, but he had a vision, well, that was a bit big. So presumably he, you know, he started in one country and then he expanded and probably started in a town, you know, like, and, and so, so you, you start small and then you build big and you keep, and you help people to, to be within the, the frame of your vision, you know, like, and you give them, them goals and, and you're helping them to see where they fit within it. And, and just, just keep being a optimistic yourself and helping those in your, in your group or your company or whatever to, to remain optimistic and to have a winner attitude. We can do this. This is possible. This step will lead to this step. We can actually do this. We can achieve this. You can be part of this and you can achieve this with us. This is going to be good. Okay. And finally, as the leader, keep your eyes on the vision. Like I said at the beginning, your vision can be altered slightly. You know, goals shift and changes as we move forward. But, but keep your eye on the, the ultimate goal. Don't get too sidetracked with what's going on in the here and now that you forget where you're heading. Yes. I'd like to add to the point point where you said pointing out having little goals or reachable goals or whatever. I think what's very important as well is to pointing out the little successes you already had saying, well, remember last time we went out to the street and this guy 
we could pray for, or this guy we could talk about, or whatever, in, to, to stay in this evangelistic. Because I think then you create a dynamic where all the people who are not really sure yet say, wow, cool, would you, I, I want to have this as well. Yeah. Yeah, testimonies or like sharing um, is good. And that's part of keeping that winning attitude, isn't it? That's a really good point. And then just, just finally, my last point is, if you're going to implement a vision, self-discipline is actually important. Um, so you don't get too sidetracked. And again, to quote John C. Maxwell, he says, self-discipline is the choice of achieving what you want by doing the things you don't really want to do sometimes. Self-discipline is the choice of achieving what you want by doing the things you don't really want to do sometimes. So, for example, if you really want to learn the guitar, you have to practice. And you might not want to practice. I know there are times when, you know, learning the flute, I had to do scales. Oh, I hated scales. It's like really boring. Like, da 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 You know, like, you're like, oh. But, and, and then in the scales in the different keys and, and but if I hadn't have, like, stuck at that, I wouldn't be able to play the flute today, so. Groundwork. The groundwork has to be, yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, when you're implementing a vision, the groundwork has to, has to be done and, and it may not always be what you want to do at any given time. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.